guys there? Okay. Can you hear me? All right. Lovely to be with you uh, this morning. Uh, we had a fantastic weekend as uh, the ladies. Wow. Sorry for you guys. But anyway, it was our time, so we, we're coming off the back of that with a lot of excitement in our hearts. It's really good to be able to share with you this morning. So how many of you, and I'd like to see by a show of hands, in the last two years or so, has either thought the phrase or said it out loud, the world has gone mad? There's like 99.99% of you, all right? I don't know about you, but for me, it feels like there has been a seismic shift in our Western culture. We have been globally wrenched from one crisis to the next. It's like there's no gap, there's no breathing room. We go from this crisis to that crisis, from COVID to Black Lives Matter to whatever is happening in the climate and, 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 and it just goes on and on and on. <clears throat> And all of these, these changes and these crises which seem to be happening seem to be undermining generations of traditional beliefs and culture and governance that we've had in our society. And what we are seeing right now is mayhem at its best. Even some ideas that started in a genuine response to a concern that we had in society, ideas which were actually not bad in themselves, have been twisted and turned into something ugly that has set people group against people group and polarized people. Suddenly, it's not about the individual anymore. It's about what political affiliation you have, what you believe, who you belong to, the color of your skin. Labels are set upon people without looking at the individual behind them because suddenly you belong to a group. You are no longer a person in your own right. The pendulum has truly swung from a society where we had very fixed ideas of morality and the way society should be run to one which is the polar opposite, where we are seeing a pervasive confusion when it comes to identity, family, society, even government. Who ever thought that people would begin to question democracy? In our Western society, when we live in the fruit of democracy, okay, it's not perfect, obviously, because of the heart of man. Democracy, the way our economy works, everything is being questioned. There is nothing that is not being questioned at the moment. And we are seeing a crisis in a young generation where the seeds of confusion that have been sown from the breaking of our moral riverbanks back in the 60s, when suddenly divorce became acceptable. From then, when the family unit started to break down, those seeds have slowly but surely eroded the riverbanks, and it is reaping a harvest of depression and anxiety. Generation Z is the generation born from 1997 onwards, and uh, Deloitte undertook a survey of 23,000 Generation Z amongst 46 nations. So this is not just America, right? This is all across the world. And the frightening thing is very close to half of all Generation Z reported to experiencing depression, anxiety on an almost daily basis. 50% of our young people, one in two. What does it mean when they get married one day? when either one of them or two of them are struggling with anxiety and depression because of the culture that is around them. Welcome to Sunday morning. It's so exciting. I'm glad. I'm glad I'm here to cheer you up, right? Sorry, guys. But I think these are things that we need to start talking about, right? 
Because we should be asking as the church, what is driving this? What the hell is going on? Excuse my language. <laughs> in, in Matthew 6, oh, where's my pointer thingy? Oh, never mind. Can you move it on to the scripture? I'll just have to give you an indicator. So, oh, not that one. Yeah, this one here. Matthew 16, verse 1, the Pharisees and the Sadducees came to Jesus and they tested him and they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. And he replied, when evening comes, as you say, it will be fair weather, thank you very much, for the sky is red. And in the morning you say, it's going to be stormy today because the sky is red and overcast. Today we've got weather apps. I love the weather apps. Lovely to see what's coming for the next seven days. They only could tell for the next day. We can tell for like, I don't know, two weeks or whatever. And Jesus says to them, well, you know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. And can we interpret the signs of the times as the church today? What is happening in the world that seems to have gone mad? And how does Christ and his kingdom look different from the ways of the world? And sadly, in the past, as the church, the way we responded to brokenness and sin and all those things was with judgment and fear, and we judge people, and, we, and our society created an atmosphere of fear so that we got people into the church. We got people on the pews. I mean, in the 1800s in England and those countries, I mean, if you didn't go to church on a Sunday, you were, people were suspicious of you, you know. But unfortunately, it didn't lead to a real transformation of the soul, okay? And so that was one way of responding to the age. But the danger is that we are now living in an age where we have swung to the opposite side, that we are so afraid to offend that we are cowered into silence from preaching the good news that yes, there is sin and we are entangled in sin as a society, but Christ has come to give us good news that you can be set free from that sin. The church in the West is in danger of having no response to the current crisis. Because either we're caught up in the damnation school of things, because if you don't belong to the club, then you're out, because there's still a large number of churches that are like that. Or we go to the other side where we are too afraid to say anything and to mention the name of Satan or demons or anything like that. We become a sanitized version of the church where we don't want to mention the evil that lies behind the things that are happening in our world today. Now, I don't want to be someone who looks for demons behind every bush. I, we grew up in the Pentecostal church, and as my parents will testify, but it obviously didn't do us so much damage because, I mean, we're all here today, right? <laughs> but there was demons everywhere. I mean, we were, like, scared. Eh? I mean, it was like, you read that book. You were opening a, a door in your heart. You could be demonized before you knew it. Like, you just said the wrong words, listened to the wrong song, you were finished. Backtrack that song because there might be a demonic message in there. There was lots of that. And then we realized, actually, you know, that's not really helpful. And so we swung away from that completely. But now it's like we're not even aware that there is a demonic and there is an evil realm that is operating in our society today. Imagine you were a soldier and you went into battle, but you were blind. Imagine. <laughs> How helpful would that be if you couldn't see your enemy? You're going into battle, right? But you're blind. You can't see where the enemy's coming from. You can't see his tactics. You can't see what he's doing. And if we as the church don't begin to open our eyes, it's like being a soldier that is blind. And you are in a war whether you like it. The, every day that you step out your door, there's a war in your mind. There's a war in society around us. And we can't be blind to it. 
In modern day, we've, got, we've become a little bit, um, we've got a bit of a, what we call a chronological snobbery because back in the dark ages, they didn't understand anything, right? They were just superstitious and everything was about witch hunts and everything was attributed to spirits. There was a natural disaster. They attributed it to the gods or whatever. But now we've become educated, right? So we know better. We know that those things are just geological phenomenon and things like that. We know better, right? But the truth is this, that evil has not changed. It's not gone away. As society's got more educated, the demonic realm hasn't suddenly disappeared because we, are, we know better. It's simply evolved into something that perhaps we can be blind to. There's a book called The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. Who's read it? It's, it's a fantastic book. It's really, it's, I would recommend reading it. C.S. Lewis is a, an absolute genius in, in perceiving the spiritual. And obviously it's fictional, um, but what the story of the book is this. So <clears throat> there's a young man, and he becomes a Christian. He, he dedicates his life to Christ. And there's two demons, right? There's a senior demon, and his name is Screwtape. Okay? And there's a junior demon. It's actually his nephew, and his name is Wormwood. And Screwtape assigns Wormwood to this young Christian, okay, because he says, right, this isn't good, because this guy's left our kingdom. We, we don't like to lose people from our kingdom. I'm assigning you to this guy to bring him back from the kingdom of light and pull him back into the kingdom of darkness. Just put some deception on him get, him, get him distracted from Christ and that sort of thing. That was his mission. But of course, the demon is a little bit inexperienced, you know, so, so they have to write letters back and forth, and, and this young demon has to report to Screwtape what's going on, and Screwtape has to write back and say, okay, no, actually, you've got to try this tactic, you've got to try that tactic, and the next thing. And in one of the letters that the uncle writes to this, uh, this little demon, Wormwood, is this. My dear Wormwood, I am amazed that you should ask me whether it is essential to keep the Christian in ignorance of our existence. The question, at least for the present phase of the struggle, has been to conceal ourselves. I do not think you'll have much difficulty in keeping patient in the dark. The fact that devils are predominantly comic figures in the modern imagination will help you. In fact, if any faint suspicion of your existence begins to arise in his mind, suggest to him a picture of something in red tights. And persuade him that he, since he cannot believe in that, he cannot believe in you. And that's quite true of today, right? If you think about, if you, if you think of the devil or whatever, what does the first thing come to mind that society's put out there? It's usually a comic book figure or something like that, something in red tights. So let's look, now I know it's quite a heavy topic, but let's look at what Jesus had to say about Satan. Okay? So Jesus... Have I got the wrong one? All right, yeah, okay. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, and they said, But we are Abraham's descendants, and we've never been slaves to anyone. So how can you say that we're going to be set free? Okay, so basically in their mind, when they heard set free, it was in reference to slavery. They said, we're not slaves, so how can we be set free? What are you telling us, Jesus? And Jesus said, truly I say to you that everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And since a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to the family forever, so then if the son sets you free, you're going to be free indeed. I know that you're Abraham's descendants, 
Yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. And I'm telling you what I've seen in the Father's presence. <clears throat> and you are doing what you have heard from your father. So the Jews were a little bit confused. So they said, but Abraham is our father. What, you, are you saying that Abraham is telling us to, to do these things, to kill you? And Jesus says, if you were Abraham's children, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you're looking for a way to kill me. A man who's told you the truth that I heard from God and Abraham did no such things. You are doing the works of your father. Now they're getting irritated because they're like, okay, Jesus, now who's our father? What the hell? You know? Sorry, excuse the pun. <laughs> Since we're talking about all those things. <laughs> uh, and uh, so he, he said, Jesus said to them, if God was your father, you would love me because I've come here from God and I haven't come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Oh, must I turn the, turn the page? Sorry. Okay. Uh, why is my... Oh, now I've lost it. Okay. Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil. Can you imagine Jesus saying that to you? It's a little bit offensive, right? And you carry out your father's desires because he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of all lies. The first thing Jesus does is identify Satan as being real. He calls him the diabolos, the deceiver of old. The serpent, the adversary, the accuser. And so what do we do about this? How do we fight against this evil? How do we fight against what the devil wants to do in the world and in our society today? And the key is in that scripture. You see, in the old days, I remember when we tried to fight the devil, we, we used to have all-night intercessory meetings. And not that intercessory meetings are bad. Please don't hear what I'm not saying, okay? Prayer is important. I believe that there are principalities and power, and I believe prayer is very important. But I remember some prayer meetings where like an old auntie will get up and she'll be like, I bind the devil and everything about the devil. And like, guys, you, you can't bind the whole devil. <laughs> like it doesn't work. You know, you're wasting your time. There is another way to do spiritual warfare, okay? And this key lies into that scripture. The other thing we used to do is we used to take that Ephesian scripture uh, about the armor of God. Remember that? And I remember it was like it became a thing where every morning you had to like read the scripture and you had to like mime it. Like, like okay, Jesus, I'm putting on the feet with the gospel for the readiness for the gospel. And Jesus, here's my breastplate of righteousness and my helmet and my, my belt. And heaven help me if I forget my sword or something. But like, and you had to mime it and you had to read the scripture and then you were protected for the day from the schemes of the devil. <laughs> but somehow, I don't think that spiritual warfare really looks like that. The key lies into the script, in the scripture where it says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires because he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. And here's the key. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar, and he is the father of all lies. Right from the beginning, that is how Satan operated. You know, in the Garden of Eden, when the snake came, and whether you believe it's a real talking snake slithering along and a real apple, and, or you believe it's an allegory and a story and things like that, that actually doesn't matter today. 
but he didn't come to attack them physically. He didn't come like to just capture them and put them in jail or like keep them in his demonic kingdom. He came with a lie and a very small, seemingly insignificant lie. Did God really say that? And a lie that went to the heart of their identity because their identity was in God. They knew they'd been created by God and for God. And he began to sow that seed of, well, did God really do this for my good? Follow your heart, your intuition. Did God really say it's for your good? Because I don't feel like that's what I should do for me as a person. Because now I get to identify who I am rather than allowing God to give me my identity. I choose my identity now and I become a God unto myself because there is no need for God. It sounds very familiar to the message that has been preached today. Because let me tell you, if we don't preach a good news message, if we don't preach a kingdom message, there is a message that is being preached in the world today and it is relentless. It is in our TVs, it is in our iPads, it's in our phones, it's everywhere. We, it's blasted at us at full volume. And unless we understand what the truth of the gospel is and how God gives us our identity and how God calls us out from the kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of light, out of sin, into light, then we become rather powerless. The ancient lie has wound its way into our very fabric of society. Now, it's very easy to look at the grand themes of society and to, to say, okay, you know what? I recognize that lie. I recognize that lie. I recognize that lie. Because you can, now suddenly your eyes are open. It's easy to say, but what about the lies that we buy into? <laughs> because somehow, I think we are called to deal with the lies that we buy into. Because when we walk into a place of freedom, suddenly we become very attractive to the ones that are caught up in deception to the ones that are caught up in entangled in sin who can't get free from sin. Society tells people that freedom looks like this. Freedom is you can do whatever you want to do. Nobody can tell you what to do. Nobody can tell you whether you're right. Nobody can tell you whether you're wrong. And actually, we have to just celebrate you. There's a scripture that says in Isaiah, it says, uh, woe to those who call what is good evil and what is evil good what is bittersweet, what is sweet, bitter, and that's exactly what we're seeing today in the world. And when we begin to walk into truth, when we begin to, to fight the enemy and, and the enemy's schemes in our lives by buying into truth, we become very attractive all of a sudden. Because true freedom is this. True freedom is not having no limits. True freedom is being able to say no to the things that are going to be bad for me. That's true freedom, having the grace from God to say, actually, you know what? The enemy is telling me this about my identity, but I don't believe that anymore. That is true freedom. Lies in our lives start with insignificant seeds, right? Little seeds that are sown, but eventually they reap a harvest because they become self-fulfilling truths. So for example, if you believe that you are a victim to your circumstances. And actually, the Holy Spirit did something really beautiful in our ladies' time on, on, I think it was Friday night, where there was just, we felt prophetically that 
God is calling us out from this place of where we're living as a victim to our circumstances. Because when you believe that lie, it becomes a self-fulfilling truth. Because when you believe you're a victim, self-pity quickly makes a home in your heart, right? And self-pity will hyper-focus on everything negative. The glass is always half empty. And when self-pity sits and it broods and you allow it to, to dig its roots into your heart, what begins to happen is depression walks into the room. And when depression walks into the room, drama walks in with it and negative circumstances and all its friends come along. And suddenly, that thing that you believed in the beginning, that you're a victim, it actually becomes a self-fulfilling truth. And so how do we do spiritual warfare? We sit with Jesus and we say, Jesus, show me the lies that I am believing. Show me the things that have planted seeds into my mind. Because let me tell you, you become a Christian, it doesn't mean that you never believe a lie again. That suddenly you're a Christian and you're protected from everything that happens in the world. There is scripture upon scripture upon scripture that talks about renewing your mind. Allowing God to wash over your mind. Because let me tell you, you form neural pathways. We live in a world where... where Everything is upside down. And if we behave according to those patterns, we, we quickly form neural pathways. And it's a matter of allowing Holy Spirit to bring us into a place where we can rewire those neural pathways so it doesn't take the familiar road. We ask Holy Spirit then, once we know what the lie is, to speak truth into our hearts. What's the truth? I'm not a victim. I'm more than a conqueror. What's the truth? I'm not a victim. God has given me everything that I need for life and, and godliness. What's the truth? The truth is that God has called me out to be a witness and a testimony to those who are in difficult places because I know that even when I went through that difficult time that God was with me. I am not a victim. I don't need to feel sorry for myself. Self-pity is a very insidious thing. It's very comforting. It's got a very warm, comforting, it's lovely to have a good moan. I mean, I love having a good old moan with my sister or my cousin and it just, and it feels so good but it doesn't bring life to your soul. How about the lie of rejection? Sometimes this takes root from a very early age, perhaps a father or a mother who was very harsh with you. Perhaps you were emotionally abused, or sometimes you weren't even abused, sometimes it was just like a mistruth that just settled in your heart. Oh, your friends weren't like you, and so something happened, and then it just, it just poked a seed into your heart. But guess what happens when it takes root? If you allow it to grow, it becomes self-fulfilling because rejected people behave in a way that causes people to reject them because they behave out of pride and anger and this because they're trying to hide the shame of rejection. You know, shame and pride go hand in hand, which is the funniest thing. You would think shame, shame people who've got a lot of shame are not proud. But actually, the people who are the proudest are the ones that are sitting with the most shame because they want to cover that shame. It's too hard to say, yeah, actually, maybe I believe a lie. We're too ashamed to, to admit it. And so we cover it up with pride. And pride is the one thing that will, will stop you from seeing the truth. God says he resists the proud and gives grace to the humble, not because he doesn't like proud people, but because he, he, you literally can't hear him when you are too proud to, to hear his voice, to, to show you the lies that you are believing. What about the lie that everything depends on you and your self-effort? And if you don't work harder, it's all going to fall apart. That's my particular gripe. <laughs> That's what I tend to believe. Like, it, it's all up to me. 
If I don't cook the dinner, if I don't do this, if I don't do that, if I don't do the next thing and I kill myself because like it's all going to fall apart. But I learned in the last while <laughs> when I started work, somebody just stepped in and filled the gap <laughs> because it happens. You know, I believed a lie. <laughs> well done, babe. Well done. <laughs> Lifting the kids, doing all of that. But, <laughs> but imagine what good are you as an exhausted Christian? What good are you? What light can you bring? The devil loves to keep you in that place because he wants you to be so exhausted, so distracted, so full of the lies that you actually can't be a light because then it means you're not a danger to his kingdom because nobody's going to be attracted to that, let's be honest. <laughs> we are so afraid of offending people with truth, but we should be more afraid of living in such confusion and lies ourselves that we don't attract people with truth. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So we focus on saying, okay, you know what? The world is so deceived. We're here to preach the truth. Yeah, we are here to preach the truth, but through our own lives and how it looks and what family looks like and what identity looks like, what it looks like not to be confused about whether you're a boy or a girl, what it looks like to have a solid foundation. What does it look like? We don't have to make blog posts and condemn the world and like call out evil everywhere. We just have to live lives in the light where we are set free from lies. And so I'm going to wind it up, okay, because we're getting late here now. <laughs> I think what, as a church, what I want to do and like the best practice going forward is to actually sit with us this week. And sit with Holy Spirit. Just take, even if it's 10 minutes, think about your life. Think where the crises are. Think where the difficult spots in your life are. Think the things that are challenging to you. Maybe it's a relationship that's challenging to you. Maybe it's finances that are challenging to you. Maybe it's your work pressure that's challenging. Where is the pressure? Where, what is distracting you from living this kingdom life, from the joy and the peace and the love that comes with kingdom life? What is distracting you? And ask Holy Spirit in that space, like literally, you can just sit there and you can ask Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, show me what the lie is that I'm believing. And if you can't, if you're so caught up in stress and anxiety that you can't see it for yourself, go and meet with someone in our community and say, I need help. I'm so stressed. I don't know what's going on in my life, but I, and I can't figure out what it is that I'm believing that is causing this to happen in my life, this chaos. Ask Holy Spirit to reveal it to you and then ask Holy Spirit to reveal the truth to you and to allow that seed to be planted and to allow it to grow. And let me tell you, truth has to be nurtured, right? Because you can plant a seed of truth in your heart and it's here today and gone tomorrow because that circumstance doesn't go away immediately, right? The situation, does the, those neural pathways don't rewire themselves overnight. And this is the danger because sometimes we feel so good in worship here. Like, I know, like, yes, Jesus. And Monday morning you go and you think, Jesus, where are you? <laughs> you know, because, but that's why we come here, right? It's to be encouraged and to be reminded of the truth. So don't be discouraged if you feel like, okay, God's dropped truth. You understand where the lie is coming from. You're not going to listen to Don't be discouraged if in a few days' time you're still struggling with that thing, right? There's some things in my life I'm still like, oh, Jesus, how can I still be going around this mountain? Are you serious? Like, really? <laughs> but what we don't see is how far we come over a long period of time.
okay? So be encouraged. Continue the good fight because we can't afford not to fight. The world is entangled in sin and it is getting worse and worse and worse. We are so afraid to call sin, sin, because we are afraid of offending people. But Jesus has put us here to bring his kingdom and to bring his life. Shall we pray?